Let us turn in our Bibles to John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. You can find it also printed in your bulletins. John 3, verses 22 through 36. This is the Word of God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Ainon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who, has, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourself bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in earthly ways. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony has his seal to this, that God is true. For he who comes he, who, he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us through your word and give us the understanding of your word through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you have brought us together today, the Lord's Day, to worship you, to partake together of the Lord's Supper and remember his death and resurrection, but also to hear your voice as we open your word. May you Open the eyes of our hearts to listen carefully what we read here in these verses. And may you um, grow our faith, nourish our souls as well. We also pray, Lord, for anyone who is trying to understand eternal life, that you may send the Holy Spirit to them so that they might believe and be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're living in what I think is, might be, the decade of the influencers. And I might be late to that because it might be, you know, the decade, it might have been around for the last two decades and just 
I'm just figuring out that these days as, as I see these things around. Um, and, uh, and I'm not trying to criticize the influencers because I'm sure that there are people who use Facebook um, platforms to, to do good things. But I could say that in general, from what I have seen, influencers use the platforms to influence people to themselves. It's like in the past, there were few famous people and a lot of followers, and all of a sudden, we have a lot of famous people all around, people who are putting their stories there, um, stories of their life. I went to the restaurant, I came back, and I did this, and I did that, and I didn't do this, and I found this, and I had this problem. And um, By the way, I know that you guys are waiting to hear from me. Sorry that I haven't talked to you in a in few days. Now I'm, I'm here to update you on what's going on in my life. As if everybody's life was about their lives. And in fact, this is what is happening. People have seen this. Uh, we, we see that this might be just a form of entertainment. But people's life has been focused on those who are those influencing people, the influencers. But I'm saying that they are influencing them to themselves because the main goal is that they have followers. Of course, a lot of the influencers are making a lot of money just by click here and like, follow me, and they make a lot of money. But their goal is to find disciples to themselves, to find people that will hear their message, enjoy their message, and they will be happy that people like them, that people enjoy what they are putting out there on the platforms. John the Baptist is totally opposite to that, right? You look at John, look what Jesus said about John. I think that he might be qualified. I mean, Jesus is the greatest influencer in the whole history of the world. And, and let me be careful when I say this. I'm not comparing Jesus with the current influencers, but think about this. For 2,000 years, followers of Jesus around the world. Not just to see what he was saying and, and hear what he was saying, but to do what he said that we should do. This is why we are here. This is what Jesus said about John. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. John had a, an amazing mission. After 400 years of silence, he comes to announce the coming of the king of the world, the creator, the owner, the savior of the world. That was his mission. And yet, he saw himself just as a servant. He understood that he was not influencing people to follow him, but to follow Jesus. And that's very different, again, to, to our current context. John point people to Christ to the point that he understood that his mission was very short, that he will come, he will say, here is the king. That's why I'm here, just to let you know that here is the king, and then he will go and die. And he did it 
with joy. So we're talking about John in these verse, verses that we're looking at today. Um, and John is the perfect example of a servant. But each one of us who have trusted in Jesus is also a servant of Christ. Therefore, there are three things that I want us together to see about John from these verses. The first one is the joy of the servant. The joy of the servant. And we're going to see in these verses, at least in my opinion, that we have two Johns talking. One is John the Baptist, and then you have John the Evangelist, half of the passage. I said in my opinion because there is debate in uh, the idea of verses 31 through 36. Is this John the Baptist talking here, that he continues talking, or is it John the Evangelist? I, I tend to believe that it's John the Evangelist expanding on what John the Baptist have said in verses 25 through 30. So we have first the joy of the servant. The joy of the servant. What's the story about? The story is that we have Jesus and his disciples that went to the Judean countryside. He was already in Jerusalem from what we know from the previous uh, chapters, but he's moving to the countryside and remained there with his disciples baptizing people. And then we know also that John continued to baptize people as well at the same time that Jesus was doing his ministry. I think the reference that John the Evangelist makes in verse 24, John had not yet been put in prison, is to show us that John the, the Baptist continued to do his ministry until he was put in prison. It wasn't that he came and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and then, that's it, I can rest. No, he keeps pressing on, calling people to repent, calling people to, to see the, the, the Lord, to see Jesus. That's, that's what's happening here. That's the, the context, the background. And then there is a discussion in the middle of this context between John's disciples, which means that there were still some disciples who were supporting John's ministry, and they didn't go, they didn't move to be with Jesus. And there, there is a discussion between them and a Jew regarding uh, the topic of purification. We don't know more about that, but, but I think it's safe to assume that it may have to do with the fact that John was baptizing people. Because we saw in previous chapters that religious leaders sent a, a committee to John to ask him, with what authority are you baptizing people? John was doing something that was very unusual in his time, that he was baptizing Jews in order for them to repent and prepare themselves to receive the Messiah. And then uh, we have the disciples coming to, Jesus, to, to John and having a conversation with John, and they have, I think, in the middle of that conversation that they are reporting about their debate with the Jew about purification, they say, by the way, Rabbi, we saw the one that you talk about, the one that you witness about, uh, Jesus, and he was baptizing people, and people are going to him. People are going to him. Different people read this in different ways, but I think, in my opinion, it, it reads clearly that the Jones, the Baptist disciples were not so happy that John's disciples now and people in general were going to Jesus. They were not happy that 
that their, their teacher, their rabbi, was losing influence in the people around because now these people were going to follow a, another rabbi, Jesus. Then, then John have to respond to this question. And I think that in, maybe for John was not that tempting, but for anyone in our time may have been a great temptation. Because what he is hearing is that, Rabbi, you are losing influence and people are going to Jesus. And, and that is challenging for the people of our time that is trying to seek attention to themselves. Then John has to clarify to them. And he, he in this clarification, he, he has a list of things that he's explained to them. The first one is that whatever John has, has been given to him by God. He says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. He's saying that his ministry, his whole ministry, is something that has been given to him by God. It is not because John had something special or because God saw something special in him or it's just because he was an eloquent speaker with, with great skills and charisma. He might have things like that. But the reason why he was doing what he was doing is because God gave him that mission. The mission of going and preaching about the coming kingdom of God. He is saying to them, it is not about me. I'm just a servant. God is the one who gave me this mission. And therefore, all the glory is to God. Not even one thing unless it is given from heaven. The second thing that he needed to remind them is that he was not the Christ. Verse 28. You yourself bear me witness that I said, I am know the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And why would people think that about John? John's ministry was very unique. And think about this, 400 years of no voice from God to them in terms of a prophet speaking to the people of Israel, and John is breaking this silence and he's bringing a unique message about the coming kingdom of God, and he's doing something that is extraordinary, that he is baptizing people in order to do this. This is why, again, the religious leaders send leaders to John to ask him, with what authority are you doing this? Tell us. We need to tell those who send us, with what authority are you doing this? Are you, are you uh, Moses? Are you the prophet? Are you Christ? And John is saying... I want to make sure that you know this. I am not Christ. John knew that very well. John knew that he could not offer salvation to anybody. That there was nothing that he could do. That there was nothing in his power to save people. He was just a messenger. Third, he tells them that he was not the bridegroom. He says, the one who has, verse 29... The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom stands and hears him and rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. 
John is using a illustration of the Old Testament when the people of God is considered the bride and God himself is the bridegroom. And he is telling to his disciples, he's looking back at the Old Testament and bringing it here to his time to tell them that he was not the bridegroom of the church. He was not their bridegroom, meaning their own disciples, and those who were going to Jesus, I am not their bridegroom. They have a bridegroom, and that bridegroom is not me. That bridegroom is Jesus. This is why it makes sense that people are going to him to be baptized. And then John says this, this thing that is so beautiful there in this verse that, and I read the verse again, he says, the one who has the bride, it is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands hear him, he hears the bridegroom speaking, he heard Jesus talking and he says, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. What was John's joy? What was John's joy as a servant? John's joy as a servant was that he was able to see and hear Christ, the Messiah. That was his joy. His joy was, as he says, there, this joy of mine is now complete. There is nothing else that I can seek in the world that could give me that joy. Why? Because you know that we were, as Chris mentioned before, during the Apostle Creed time, created to worship God. That's the main purpose of our lives. And people, including ourselves, look for things to find joy in earthly things, and we never find it because only in Jesus we find that joy. So he heard Jesus, and his joy is complete. Nothing else matter. Then this is why the last thing regarding John, the joy of the servant, he could say these words. He must increase, but I must decrease. There is nothing that I can offer to you. I am not the Christ. All I have, my ministry and mission has been given to me. I am not the bridegroom. And even myself rejoicing that I can hear him. Therefore, my mission is fulfilled. This is where I start to decrease because I complete my mission, which is to let you know that Jesus, our Lord, our King is here. And he must increase. He must increase. That's the joy of the servant. The joy of the servant is to see himself decreasing and to see Christ increasing his life. And we'll see that at the end of the sermon when we close. But now, let's look at the second thing, which is the Lord of the servant. So we hear first the joy of the servant. Now, the Lord of the servant. Here is what I'm saying that the one who starts to talk is John the Evangelist. So first is a conversation between John the Baptist and his disciples. And the conversation finished in verse 30 when he says, he must decrease... He must increase, sorry, but I must decrease. And then John, the evangelist, takes from there to tell them why. Why 
John must decrease and Christ must increase. The first thing that we see from John's uh, the evangelist's words is that Jesus comes from above and is above all. Jesus comes from above and is above all. You see a contrast here in verse 30. And you see part of the contrast is that he starts with a sentence and he closes with, with this with the same sentence in verse 30. He says, he who comes from above is above all. You move down to the end of verse 31. says, he who comes from heaven is above all. But what is the contrast that he's making? The contrast is between Jesus and John. Jesus comes from above, and we saw that in previous chapters, that he is the only one who has come from above. But John, verse 31 says, he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in earthly way. The word earth that we have here translated as earth is not coming from the cosmos word, which is usually used in reference to the sinful system of the world, but it's from the word guess, which means the the finitude and limitation of the person that was there. It means that the contrast that John, the evangelist, is doing between Jesus and John, the Baptist, is that Jesus is coming from above, is above all, and John, the Baptist, was born here on earth, has a beginning. He has no come from above. He does not understand everything that is happening from above because he hasn't seen it, and we'll see it later, and hear it directly, but he can speak only in earthly ways, what, he has, what has been given to him. Does it, is this, does it mean that John's message was just an earthly message without value? No. God has sent John to save this message. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But his message is limited because it depends on what has been given to him. But Jesus, the Lord of the servant, has come from above and is above all. There is no one that can be compared with Jesus. Because Jesus was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. Jesus is God himself. The second thing is that Jesus bears witness to what he has seen. Verse 32. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. We live and believe by faith. We have seen Jesus in his Word. We, we understand about heavenly things and the kingdom of God because we believe what we see here in the scriptures and the Holy Spirit confirm in our hearts that this is real. But we cannot see it with our eyes. In fact, we live in a world where people might think that, that, that somebody else is the king and not Jesus. But we know through faith because the Holy Spirit has revealed this to us. But Jesus has seen and heard things directly. That's the difference. And remember, here is still what John the Evangelist is doing, is making that contrast between him, between John the Baptist and, and Jesus. This is why it makes sense that 
everybody now is running to Jesus to be baptized by Jesus because he's the one who is coming from above. He's the one who has heard and seen things from above while John is just a messenger. The third thing is that Jesus' testimony is God's word. Jesus' testimony is God's word. For he, who, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God. Verse 34. Yes, John was also bringing a message from God, but Jesus was speaking his own message because Jesus is God. And here is the contrast again. Four is that the fullness, Jesus, in, the, in Jesus the fullness of God dwells. And you go back to that verse 34. For him whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. Who gives the spirit? God gives the spirit without measure to whom? To Jesus. He gave the Spirit to John the Baptist as well. In fact, you remember that John is, free, is full of the Spirit even from his womb. But it's for a task, for a mission, as he gave the Spirit to us in the gift that God has given us to serve his kingdom. But to Jesus, he gave the Spirit without measure because Jesus himself is God. There is no distinction between Jesus and God, the fullness of God dwells in Jesus because Jesus is divine. From when? From eternity. And then the last thing here about the Lord of the servant is that the Father loved the Son and has given all things into his hands. The Father, verse 35, loved the Son and has given all things into his hand. God loved the world. We read this, right? God loved the world that he gave his son. But God also loved the son from eternity to eternity because this has been part of the God's head from eternity to eternity, the love of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is sad is that we, we read in these previous verses that while God loved the world that he gave his only son whom he loved, the world doesn't love God. But the world loves the world. What is the Lord of the servant? The Lord is the one who comes from above. The one who bears witness of what he has seen and heard. The one whose testimony is God's word. The one in whom the fullness of God dwells. The one whom the Father loved and hath given all things into his hands. That's why John most decreased and Jesus most increased. That's why it just didn't even make sense to compare John and Jesus. Because Jesus is God. Now, the last point is the blessedness of the servant. The blessedness of the servant. And the blessedness of the servant is eternal life. I'm not sure if I did it right, but it's eternal life. Oh, eternal. I have somebody else to blame about that. <laughs> eternal life. That's the blessedness of the servant. Think about this. Sometimes we think that 
all right, yes, we are safe. We have eternal life. And that's a joy that people usually have when they come to faith in Jesus, right? And you see some people talk about the first love. It's when they became Christians and they are so, so joyful to know that they have eternal life. But through the time and through the life, this first love starts to, 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 to be not that exciting and, and, and you end trying to look for other blessings, additional blessings, because you are not that excited about what you received initially. But the real joy of any servant of Jesus is that we have eternal life. Why? Because the wrath of God does not remain on us any longer. Think about this. The wrath of God remains in every single person in this world that don't know Jesus. But if you know Jesus and if you believe in Jesus, if you believe in the Son, you have eternal life. Eternal life is that it's not that you are at some point when you die or Jesus comes that you are going to enjoy that life. It's that the very moment that you trust in Jesus, you are a new creature in Christ and you will start to enjoy this beautiful journey. You have communion with God. And then you get to understand that circumstances around your life has a purpose and that all things work together for good, even difficult things, because you are living an eternal life with Christ. That's the blessedness of the servant. That's why John the Baptist was rejoicing at hearing Jesus' voice. Because he knew what that meant for him and for the world. That's why John the Evangelist write this and highlight this and magnify Christ above all. That's why Paul could say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because he already have the blessedness of God, eternal life. Brothers and sisters, here we have a very good example of a servant of the Lord. One who has joy in knowing Jesus and being willing to say, I must decrease. And, and that's very important. John is not saying, I should decrease. Or I might decrease. He said, I must decrease. And Christ must increase. May the Lord help us to say the same words. And my prayer for you, if you are trying to understand this message, is that you might believe in the Son so you may have eternal life as well. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that you are a gracious God who uh, sent your Son to die for us on the cross. People like us who do not deserve to be called your people, you have saved through the blood of Christ, your only son, the one you love, the one in whom you have given all things. We thank you that you look us with eyes of mercy and, and that 
that we have this hope of glory, that we have this eternal hope in Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord, to remember this joy for, for those of us who may have forgotten this joy, that, that we might remember this joy and, and leave this place with this renewed joy to remember that we are in Christ with eternal life. And we pray, Lord, that you may reveal yourself in a special way through the power of the Holy Spirit to those who are hearing this message for the first time or for the second time, that they might come to faith in you and may have eternal life as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now let us prepare our hearts to partake together of the Lord's Supper. Every time we come together uh, before the Lord's table, we remember that our Lord Jesus Christ came. He took flesh. The Word became flesh in order to die on the cross for our salvation. We remember that when he died on the cross, through faith we are united with Christ there on the cross, and we also die with Jesus on the cross. Our sins are nailed to the cross. But in his resurrection, we also remember that we have been risen as well from our death, that Christ has given us new life through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you are a new creature in Christ. In our union with Christ, we also are alive with Christ. And we are also announcing the second coming. And, and, and we need to do that because we might forget and live in this world as if this is an unending place when the real goal is that one day we'll see Jesus face to face and enjoy his presence forever. And all the sorrow, pain, and, and things of this world will be something of the past, and we will live with Christ forever. That should be our joy. That should be our joy. Um, we are also spiritually nourished. It is a participation in the flesh and the blood of Jesus when we partake of these elements. They don't become real, real, blood, real blood or flesh, but they represent that, and by faith we are spiritually nourished in our souls. So this is real spiritual food for the believer. And if you are not yet a believer, I encourage you not to take these elements, but use this time to meditate in this offering that is also for you. That if you trust in Jesus, you will be saved as well and have eternal life. Let me pray before we partake of the Lord's Supper. Dear God, we thank you that you, in your grace and mercy, have given your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our salvation. We thank you for the blessedness that is ours in Christ. We thank you for being able to come together, and we pray that you may uh, help us to prepare our hearts and our minds to partake of the Lord's Supper from our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.